welcome, welcome. <laughs> I, <laughs> now I'm trying to steal other people's beginnings. Um, but that would have been welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard, and well, with me is Julie <laughs> Mouse. That's a Dax Shepard. And what, what's what's her name? Monica Padman. Monica Padman. So good. M- Modest Mouse. We're going to spend this podcast recommending podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we also, just parenthetically, were in the car yesterday. By the way, I'm Dr. John Parenthetically, Duffy. we were in the car? <laughs> parenthetically, to this conversation. Um, to this conversation, parenthetically, we were in the car. I'll end parens when I'm done. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We oh wait. Are, I'm telling okay, you right people, now. He's had people. He's had one ounce of caffeine, and this is what happens. It's um. It's kind of parenthetically. Like, he's had an ounce of caffeine, which is the equivalent of Al Pacino dropping his <laughs> nose into the pile of cocaine in his desk on Scarf in Scarface, and then just firing his uh, you know AK until he falls dead in the pool, but not really even dead. It took a long time for that guy to die. It did. Today, we're sipping iced Americanos with a light splash of coconut milk. So hopefully there will be, there's no carbonation and there, hopefully there will be no belchies. <laughs> and, um, and Julie's finished her snacking, so there won't be oh, any yeah, there's snacking. No snacks. There's no snacks on I the am, table. I haven't finished my snacking necessarily, but there isn't any in arm's reach. So right. there, there, we won't have that. For the duration, the podcast may be blissfully short because there's no snacks. We're going to have to go. Um, I'm already hungry. Wait, what's the thing that people... Misophonia. Do you know what that is? Oh, Uh, no. Did I just... Did I say a word Dr. Duffy does not know the meaning of? I'm going to tell you that it has something to do... It has something... It's auditory in nature. Correct? Um, Is it something you can't hear? It's people who can't stand the sound of, I don't know if it's m- that mouth mouths make, like they can't oh, yeah, stand chewing, the sound eating. of eating, yeah. chewing. Yeah. So, they, <laughs> so they, would, they wouldn't like some of ours. I don't know about belching. I don't know if that's a problem, but. Can you imagine though a podcast where, you know, people have, some people have the thing where they make the, just the saliva noise a lot when they're talking. Yeah. That's something. Or if, like you, if, you gotta, you if gotta they have a dry mouth. We, um, we have a soundboard that needs to be dusted off, and Julie was talking about getting one of those um, things that people use for their keyboards. And that's what the guy, if the guy had a saliva problem, I think if he squirted that in his mouth, it might work like the thing at the dentist that sucks. No, I think what you hear is dry mouth, not wet mouth. <laughs> we're going to need, uh, we're going to go to the phones. <laughs> see what we got. Um, all right, so uh, recap. Where where have we been? What have you been? We we went to the center of the COVID universe. I mean, honest to God, taking our lives into our own hands, we went to the hottest hotspot on planet Earth, Des Moines, Iowa. We drove to Iowa. We drove. So my parents live in Ames, where Iowa State University is located. So it's a super hot hot spot spot. Go Cyclones! And um, we went to Des Moines instead to the. And I really genuine shout out to the. Courtyard, Merritt Courtyard in Clive, Iowa, which is like, a, I don't know, a suburb of Des Moines. Um, they were so sweet. 
I told them I was meeting my parents. They were super accommodating. Masks were required in the common areas, which I was relieved. They gave us, I, I, we got a suite, a one bedroom suite so that we could, so it was just my parents, John and I, and my brother Dave, so that. And it was fancy? If No, I mean, it wasn't fancy, fancy but we, they have a courtyard, a beautiful courtyard that we hung out in and had dinner outside. And then um, when it got too cold, we were able to come into our room and have, there was room for the five of us to kind of spread out and feel okay about it. And it does seem like, uh, I think they told us nobody had been in our room for two months, six oh, months. Oh, yeah. No. But for a whole week. So that was good. But they were super sweet. And um, it was smooth. It was a smooth groove. Um, we ordered in, ate in the courtyard. We I brought stuff for breakfast. We had leftovers for lunch. It was, And we were there literally for less than 24 hours. Correct. But we had a fun night. It was my dad's birthday. And um, yeah, it was good. Ken, um, Ken Shaw turned a spry uh, poppin' 88. Yeah. And um, he's just a happening dude and just one of the good guys. Yeah, so I was nervous. I mean, anytime you do something you haven't done in a while during COVID, I, you're discombobulated. Like, you know, I would be, you know, we'd be sitting there talking outside and then I would just put my mask on and take it off and put it back on. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're mad. You were just randomly holding it no, up to your face sometimes. And... It's just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's weird, but we were good. We were good. And then, um, unfortunately, the evening was interrupted with some horrible news. Yeah, there's a, more than one piece of horrible news, but the, the news we all know about is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Um, curiously, it was your dad's last moments of being 87, and she was 87 years old. Um, and it's in, it was interesting, um, the reactions around us, because I think most of us, our immediate reaction was, you know, re- well, relative to whether you are a fan of the president or not, and where you are politically, you either hadn't, most of us hadn't, oh no, that's awful. And I think most of us were pretty certain. We knew she wasn't well. She'd been in and out of the hospital, I think, six times in six months. But mighty human that she is just kept coming back and effectively saying, I'm good to go, ready to go. And then, you know, like pumping the eight pound iron like it's like like a beast. And uh, and you kind of got the impression she's one of those people where even though she is as old as can be, you just never, you didn't picture like that she would die. I don't know why, you know. No, like, no, totally. You, you know, she seemed indomitable. Is that she, the right word? Yeah, and um, and and so it's super. So the first reaction, sadly, I think, is you know, ah, oh, shit. You know, like now Trump's going to be able to nominate somebody to the court right away, and we're going to have this whole problem, you know, again, but this is Ginsburg and this is big. And she was, she was the, right. I think she held down one end of that court hard by herself, man. And also, yeah, she she was um, kind of a beacon of strength and hope. And and a lot of people were, (laughs) I was, I spoke too soon about the burpees. (laughs) A lot of people were hanging on to, uh, yeah, hope that she'd be around for a while. Well, and and um, 
So your your mom beautifully pointed out, you know, in a moment of like, let's think about her for a moment, yeah. who led this amazing life, and she passed away on Rosh Hashanah. Your mom pointed out that, you know, like that, there's an elegance to that that she really loved for Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, which is which I thought was a lovely thought in the margins of the, you know, oh no. Yeah, like the, it was nice. Scream I mean, on Twitter. Right. It was such a beautiful point because we're just, you know, we're getting texts like, oh no, we're screwed. You and know? I will say if you if you um you know, despite um, Notorious RBG and any movie you've ever seen, if you need and would love a recap of her life, the New York Times Sunday paper has a, a lovely just um, look back and um, from photographs to her earliest days to her falling in love and, and her absolutely astonishing career. You know, um, yeah, really, really cool. And there's certain things. Yeah, I've, I, I've, this, you're, you're not going to be at all surprised that I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But I love a well-written obituary um, because oh. it, because it reads like biography. Like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like so clearly, somebody at the New York Times and somebody at the Tribune has been working on RBG's obituary for a very long time because she's been sick for a long time and she's been elderly for a long time. Brita, I didn't I didn't know that I read that article about Rick Kogan. You know, he had yeah. COVID, right? He read, read his own obituary. And he had to read his own obituary because I didn't realize they prep newspapers write obituaries in a far in advance. Yeah. So they're ready to go. I did not I did not know that. Yeah. Fun fact. Fun fact. Not so fun. Fact. But fact, <laughs> nonetheless. Um yeah, so so right. So so most well-known people, the vast majority of the obits written well in advance and really thoughtfully. And this one specifically, of course, is uh, was well researched and well written and, and beautifully written. But there's these little, these little notes in there of like you know not just you know that she was instrumental in this decision or that she was appointed um, on this day where. You know, the Clinton presidency is mired in all sorts of uh, problems and effectively, um, and I don't remember this, but, you know, kind of the world goes on pause because we're all fans of this. You know, I don't remember being a fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg or knowing anything about her, but this was a big appointment, like every Supreme Court appointment, and she was um, all but unanimously approved by the Senate, which, you know, like... Think about what the next appointment's going to be. It's right. going to be fifty-three forty-seven. If there's a Maybe margin not. at all, you know what I mean. Like, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really, really tight. But this was the last. That of was the, me being delusional. <laughs> this was the last of the like properly n- named justices, right? You know, so Clinton picks somebody who is smart and kind and respectable and thoughtful and a true jurist all the way down to her core. And so the Senate is presented with this woman who is unimpeachable in every way and there are a few questions asked and there are hands shaking across the aisle and it's a celebration and she forever is appointed to the court wouldn't that be Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then then there's this great story this is and some of you probably know this but i it's worth it's worth taking a note of first of all she was an opera fan and so at least once but i think more than once because of that appeared in Opera on Broadway, like you know, oh, just like would not not to sing, that. but would be like to show up. Yeah, because she dug it <laughs> in her robe. 
Huh? No, no, no. Mean- like, like dressed up in costume and stuff. They're, oh, yeah, that's yeah, so yeah. cute. So cute. But she's lets the idea of her being tiny or cute or female or whatever it is that you think she is. She was just when people say she was just a badass, like. She's a badass human being. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. There's, there, there's, um, there's n- any adjective kind of diminishes this person. Right. And the craziest thing, I think, and my favorite thing, and what I sorely miss because I think it was the last of it, is if, if the court were a seesaw for the last 30 years, Anton Scalia was on one side. Died, died right before the end of the last administration. Absolutely, you know, the conservative bastion, you know, um, and he looked it right from <laughs> right down to the way he looked. He looked like the conservative head of the Supreme Court and RBG, clearly the uh, progressive end of the Supreme Court. And these people disagreed and argued vehemently about opinion after opinion after opinion. And they were like best friends, like children when they weren't in um, weren't weren't in session. She said, "Like I couldn't look at him without laughing. Like 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 he was funny, and oh, he'd make I these faces that. at me. And then you know we'd be like messing around, and then and then we would go to battle, like yeah. you know like like battle. And he would say, were he alive, like." She won most of the battles. Like, you know, the, like she, he would say, like, she's smarter. Not in the room, but outside the yeah. room to, like, you know, Steve Croft from 60 Minutes. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's willing to say it. Um, and, and where the hell has that gone, right? This idea of any kind of of camaraderie across the aisle. This idea that we go into the politics to make the world, to make the the, the country a better place to streamline government and make it work best for the American people. And, you know, can we really disagree that much if that's the reason we go into the thing? It it makes me crazy. No, I don't think we do, but it's just broken, the system. I I do think that there's, I mean, I think, like, I've heard, you know, I think Biden has a bunch of friends on both sides of the aisle. He absolutely does. And um, if you if you want to hear something normal, then if you want to hear a lovely tribute to Biden, um, that that is no gotcha moment at all. There is a uh, somebody was interviewing Lindsey Graham while he was driving his car in his home state. And um, and they asked him about a bunch of people, I think. But they asked him about Biden. And it's, it's a it's a Lincoln Project ad right now. But um, if you just look this up, he said, you know, oh, you're you're not going to find a better human being than Joe Biden. You know what I mean? And he goes on and on and tells stories. And and John McCain, man, McCain and Biden. Um, I think Biden encouraged McCain to run the first time he yeah. ran. And um, and then they end up effectively running against each other. You know what I mean? Like Biden was running for vice president, but they were running against yeah. each other. It's like, you know, crazy. And, and McCain had this bit. We talked about this on the podcast where um, the two of them are sitting on a stage together and McCain says, so I come back from war. I'm a prisoner. I'm locked up for five years and I'm told I got to carry this guy from Delaware's bags around. 
And Biden's literally like, you never carried my bags. Like, <laughs> Wait, what, do you so, mean, what do you mean carry his bags? Like, you know, like he was literally like, you know, working as a congressional attache. Oh, okay. you know, like, okay. I, I think some kind of like, you know. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but they completely – and if I remember right, they never – agreed about what the nature of that early relationship was, but they were really close. But McCain played up pretty regularly, like, you know, yeah, yeah, I was kind of like your manservant. And Biden's like, well, you never did anything for me. What are you talking about? (laughs) Super cute. But there's nothing cute in Washington now, is there, Julie? (laughs) Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Kamala Harris is cute lately, popping off planes in her kicks. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, you, you know how there's a, there used to be a thing when I was um, I used to be quite the the um, financier um, when I wor- worked at um, the CPA firm Arthur Anderson and Company, mm-hmm. and um, I was dressing for the job I want in my um, uh, my suits from. Oh, please tell me where were my suits from? Bigsby and Carruthers. Well, that was in the later days. That's when oh. I was. That's when I was happening. That's when. It, that's when the money was really yeah. pouring in. Um, no, my early suits were from oh preppy place. Mallards. Oh yeah, thank oh, you. I cannot believe I thought about mallards. That's right, <laughs> mallards. Um, and I got my braces from mallards, which are suspenders with the buttons. That's a brace. Ew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wore the braces. Very Gordon Gecko. Very happening. And um, where am I heading with this? Oh, but then you, you, so I, so it used to be dressed for the job you want and you'll get it. Um, Kamala Harris is taking a different page, right? Because she can get off the plane and she can be decked out in, you know, the um, – Straight up like uh, Hillary pantsuit and heels, right? But um, lately she's been wearing um, Converse, Timberlands. I jeans. Feel, jeans. So she's sending this message that I'm kind of digging. And it would. And this is not a, just to be clear, a gender message, although killing it, right, as a, as a woman. But if Joe were wearing the Tims and we're wearing the, uh, and we're in the Converse, I'd be like, oh, and the jeans? Are you kidding? At seventy-seven, I'd be like, "You go, boy." Yeah, like, right? that's, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> that would good be idea. right. And and I'm gonna say, you know, just for Joe, just as a side note, you throw on a pair of jeans, you you take a couple of small rolls at the bottom, just yep, roll them, yep. roll them a couple of times, and wear your kicks and throw a vest on. Forget the coat, you're happening, man. You are happening. Or a leather jacket. Yeah, just. But the idea. Uh, suddenly, I'm thinking the idea of the suit and tie, or the straight up like the yeah. women can only wear the the pantsuit thing. I, I want. I think that ch- changing that kind of permanently might be a good thing. Maybe people will think a little bit more loosely. Yeah. I know I do my job differently. So when I started my job, you'll remember I wore like I think I wore a khaki sport coat and a tie. You did, I barely remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So when I when I started my internship, which there's a note here. Oh well, okay, that's different. An internship, but yeah. not when you were private practice ever, right? Uh, khakis and a tie every day. Ooh, okay. Yeah, and then and then one day, you suggested because I love wearing, I like the denim, and you said, "Why don't you wear the jeans to work?" And I'm like, "You can't wear the jeans to work. That's a ridiculous thing to do." I that's always a, forget the things I. Yeah. 
And then I was like, I come up with, and and not not once after that did I not wear the jeans to work, unless right. I was on Steve Harvey. So there were. Uh, oh yeah, you had to wear a suit. I had to wear a suit. But I think sometimes if we dress, and maybe maybe the pandemic dress will provide a gateway to something a little more casual, a little more approachable and comfortable than just the straight up like you know old old school boring suit. And not just because you're. Pants don't fit. <laughs> Wait, what are you referring to? Oh, the you're pandemic. talking about <laughs> pandemic pants. The what? What, what the the uh, the quarantine fifteen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've skated that, but so anywho, um, I I feel compelled to take a left turn just for a second because within an hour of finding out that RBG died, so. Um, you know, hopefully heroes die in twos and not threes because, um, another hero of mine died that same day. Um, and he was my, uh, first, my probably one of my best mentors ever. Um, one of very, very few people who ever mentored me in any way. His name was Chuck Jones. Um, my, my internship when I was in grad school was in a suburb of Chicago called Hoffman Estates. He was the director of the Department of Health and Human Services there, um, which tells you nothing about this guy. But this guy was one of the most astonishing men I have ever known because Chuck knew, Chuck was Chuck was the most interesting guy because he was, um, he knew a lot about weird things. Like he knew a lot about baseball, but he knew a lot about farming and he knew a lot about, he knew everything about psychology, but he knew a lot about governing and government. And, um, and, but Chuck also was, um, even though I grew up like around a lot of guys who were in AA and stuff, my dad's friends and stuff, there was always kind of a gruffness, this kind of like faux, masculinity thing. You know, my dad played that up even. You know, my dad, who was a very sweet man, would like read the sports page so he had something to say in the gym. Chuck was the most genuine, authentic, gentle, kind man. I mean, like um, almost takes you back a little bit. Like, you know, he was he was a surprise. And I was fortunate enough to be around this man during the worst times of my life. Um, when my brother was not doing well before he died, um, I remember I was in a meeting with Chuck, and um, okay, here we go. I'm losing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, in his office, and um, and my uh, my sister in law calls me, says Tom's in trouble, um, and uh, and so I uh, I tell Chuck, you know, um, hey, listen, I um, I gotta go, you know, and he goes, is it, is it your brother? And I said, yeah. And he, Chuck, gives me a hug, like bosses do. <laughs> gives me a hug. And, um, and he um, holds me and tells me, you know, I hope everything's okay. Let me know if there's anything I can do. Uh-uh. And, but it was just a beautiful moment. And there was more than one of those moments with Chuck. Um, and, um, and I wish – I've not spoken to Chuck in years, and I, and I, I re- regret that um, yeah. because he was – he was a hero in that um, there was something fundamental about how a man can be that Chuck showed everybody. And he 
he wasn't putting on any display of any kind. He was just this kind of guy and just the rarest, rarest kind of guy. Um, and um, one of my, I, I, I have a bunch of favorite memories, but I, I was lucky enough to be his assistant for a year. And, um, and when we would have meetings in his office, and I think I get, um, he, he, we would toss a baseball back and forth sometimes, just um, lobbing it. And I realized I have a baseball in my office, and if I'm on a Zoom call or um, sometimes if I'm just talking to a kid or a client or something, I'll just toss that thing. And every once in a while, I'll just toss it to the person on the couch when I'm having a meeting with them. And not, not we never speak of it. And there's something about that um, that red connection to mm-hmm. me. And, the, and there was also there, it, it, it took away the hierarchy. In other words, Chuck never, even though like he was the final decider of most things, he he was he never played up a power thing. You know what I mean? Like he was just he always wanted to hear what you had to say, and then even if he thought you were wrong, he had this way of massaging that a little bit so that he didn't just say wrong, wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, it wasn't John McLaughlin about it. It was more like you know, well, yeah, but but here's where I here's where I think your blind spot might be, or here's what I think we should work on as far as that goes, or here's you know. Let's consider why um, this other thing might be a more plausible idea, or we might be able to get it past the board more readily, something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, so within a couple hours, one of, you know, um, RBG, who led um, this this bigger-than-life life, life, and Chuck, who was the, uh, you know, director of a suburban Department of Health and Mm -hmm. Human Services, both heroes, (laughs) you know? Yeah. and um, yeah, like you know that that guy, I will miss. You know, I, and I haven't talked to him in a very long time, way too long. But um, there's something about him not being there <laughs> that is not sitting well with me. Aww. Yeah. And his wife is Carol, right? I think Carol. Yeah, and they, um, if I remember right, he he had like he had madcap ideas sometimes that he would go ahead and do. And I think the last one I'm aware of is to farm alpaca. Yeah, I think you're right. Which I think he actually did, yeah. right? And then in he Michigan took care or of his grandkids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes, re- remarkable, remarkable human being. And, you know, I, and so um, human was his thing. You know, like he, the humanity. I, I, every, if I had a thing with a client, I went and talked to Chuck about it. You know, he could always... I mean, I could tell him two things about somebody, and Chuck could empathize in in his eyes with a client where you're like, you know, oh, my God. Like, you, you I, I don't think I'm the right guy for this job because you <laughs> clearly have more empathy for my client who I've known for hours than, you know, like you you can feel it. And he could, you, you realize he could. He was... He was probably the first person I knew where I'm like, ooh, I think I do believe that an empath is a possible thing because that guy felt other people's pain. And at, and at Tom's funeral, I remember, you know, um, seeing Chuck and, you know, just meeting eyes for a moment when I was walking out of there. And it was mm, like, it was like he was carrying me around in his arms. <laughs> Anywho. Here's to Chuck Jones. Here's to Chuck Jones. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, I, the, the, yeah, I don't know if there's a lesson to be learned there, but maybe part of it is the biggest regret. I only have one regret about Chuck Jones, and it's that I have not been in touch with him. And, um, and I can think of a few other people that, um, that were in my life in the past that I need to be in touch with before it is too late to be in touch with them. Yeah. You know, um, and having lost some people, that's a real thing. I don't doubt that Chuck Jones knows how I felt about him. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, but, um, but we should never assume we, should we, never, we never say it. And we, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really addressing people who, um, I've worked with a lot of people who, you know, missed the last moment. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I tried to get home. My dad was dying. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I didn't get that last moment. And, you know, and I, my way to spare them is the truth. It's like, you know, oh, your father knew you, knew how you felt. You know what I mean? Like, you, if you Ab- couldn't so get true. there. So true. You know, so like, true. Um, and, and too often I think we define people by the last moments of their lives. I, I, I worry that, you know, um, after 87 years of killing it and kicking ass and taking names, RBG is going to be remembered for dying too early, you know, for, right. for not holding off for two more months, you know, instead of like holding on for three more years, uh, you know, that, you, you know, she clearly has been sick for so long. And, um, you know, and that I don't want to, I don't want to remember her that way. And, you know, um, and I, I think about, well, I think any of us who, have, has lost somebody to suicide, you know, um, the first thought that comes to anybody else's mind. So when we talk about Tom, if, yeah. I, if I talk to Tom, about Tom with anybody, people in a very loving and caring and empathic way are like, oh, like, um, you know, kind of like, oh, John, I'm so sorry. And my thing about Tom is always like, oh, well, yeah, there was that, right? You know, like that was bad. <laughs> you know, like the whole dying by suicide thing was really yeah. not my favorite yeah. part of Tom's life. But there were a thousand favorite parts of Tom's life, you know. So when I think about Tom, and I think most of us who have lost somebody by suicide, um, you know, we can honestly say, yeah, to a person, I think we can say, like, yeah. But there were a million other things, and those those carry me through that thought. You know what right. I mean? Like that thought's always there and always lingers. That you know, mm, I wish he didn't have such a crushing last moment. You know what I mean? Like you know that um, that something that that that's something different. That something different could have happened. That he could have had a different story than that. Um, but um, but there was there was. A lot of good stories, and I've shared a lot of them here. And and I'm thinking that before the end of um, Suicide Awareness Month, which is this month, I'm going to post some of the podcasts that put a fine point on that. Um, our friend Kelly Hurley posted a put up a lovely post about her mom, and it was cool to see her mom. Yeah, right, darling um, mom. Yeah, and you can kind of see where Kelly looks like her mom, and and. Um, and uh, our friend Eileen um, put up a picture of her mom, um, who also was a darling mom. Mm-hmm. And um, both of their mothers died by suicide. Both we I, I have been on the podcast. So um, we'll post those podcasts because yep. they're great. My friend um, Susan uh, McDonald, who I went to high school with, her, um, her husband uh, died of suicide. And we had a 
lovely discussion about uh, him and their life together, and um, I'll post those. So, you know, just as a as a, a reminder, if anybody wants to um, to give them a listen, because they're one thing about all those discussions, and and the one I did uh, about Tom, you and I did one about Tom, where um, you know I think I might have cried during it, but we also laughed hard and. All those are funny and fun, and they're surprisingly not downbeat, right? I mean, they're not a drag to listen to. Right. Definitely, yes. I remember Eileen's for sure. You guys are hilarious. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we did it. So Eileen and I both have lost, you know. I think there's two parts to that yeah, one. Yeah, so and I, <laughs> we tell the stories of how my brother and her mother died by suicide, and I think Eileen, after we tell the story, said, but stay tuned, it gets funnier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I think um, that's part of being a survivor, um, you know, of uh, in one of those families is you do, you gain a certain resilience and a sense of humor that is way grimmer than anybody else's. So I think, you know, like sometimes Eileen and I, for example, can be shocking in how dark we're willing to go. Like, yeah. cause like we're willing to joke about suicide, you know, but we know that she knows her mother would be like down for the suicide joke. I know Tom would be making 100%. the suicide joke and, yep. you know, like I, um, and so we feel very much at liberty to do that. Yeah. So if you have any good suicide jokes, send them <laughs> in to suicidejokes.com. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so what's the wrap? Um well uh if you love somebody, let them know. It, that's the wrap. You know what I mean? Like I don't I, I I'm looking for something big and broad and and um pithy and intellectual or something, but in the end, what I'm feeling right now is if you love somebody and you think they might not know or you just want them to know, you know what I mean? Like uh, any given day, any given encounter, let them know you love them. You know what I mean? Like there's certain people I know who do that. And I think that's just the coolest thing. And I think more and more people are doing that than used to. And maybe that's a pandemic. Yeah, I agree, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, I find I find like um, unless a lot of letters like you know instead of best which I, well, I, I use best or yeah. sincerely or something like that you mean for on emails yeah emails and stuff like that i usually go with like much love or something like yeah. that you know what yeah. i mean like cuz i figure you know the more i can be like george harrison the better and i feel like or chuck jones oh chuck jones was a much love guy even at work and that that is a thing right you know what i mean like and you feel like you know kamala's tim say you know like much love yeah. Right? <laughs> anyway, so much love, everybody. Much love. Love much you, Much love. Honey. Love you, honey.